So how's everybody doing today? Or whatever time you're watching, whenever you're watching this. So um, if you are still, uh, if, if you've been following my Facebook page and you're still watching, God bless you. I appreciate you and love you so much. Um, I've kind of shared, shared some things. Um, I'm going to touch on a little bit because it, it pertains to divine healing. But some of the stuff I've been sharing in these previous messages and some of the stuff I've been sharing in other videos or on Facebook has definitely uh, uh, triggered some people <clears throat> and I'm sure caused me to lose some more friends. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of used to that. But uh, so, so if you're watching, I, I really appreciate it, even if you don't agree with me. Uh, that you're just giving me a, a listening ear and an audience. I really, really appreciate it. Now, uh, having said all that, I want to preface before I start talking about divine healing that I'm not pretending to be an expert here or uh, any kind of a final authority on the subject. I'm just sharing with you some things, some insights and some thoughts and some things that I have drawn from my own experience, from my own studies, and the way I've kind of grown into this and processed this. So, I want to come back to, uh, we're going to talk about some practical things. We're going to tie it all together, the part one of the message, part two of the message. We're going to bring it together, and then I'm going to give you some practical things that most of you know <clears throat> and maybe already doing, but hopefully you'll have a better understanding of why it's important and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the first thing that needs to go, in my opinion, if we're going to be effective in divine healing, the first thing that needs to go and this is where you really, this is where you really, really unplug from the matrix. Um, if you remember the illustration from the old movie with Keanu Reeves. But the first thing we have to do is we have to get rid of this idea of praying for the sick <clears throat> or praying for ourselves, like God is this anthropomorphic or this human-like ego that exists in the sky, like He's the old man in the sky or Jesus in the sky, uh, this God that is sitting on a throne and has these anthropomorphic features, these human features where he's uh, jealous, where he is wrathful, where he is even in some aspects loving in the sense that we think of it as sentimentality or think about it from a sentimental standpoint. And also that God has this will that he's trying to choose and decide which one that God's going to heal. And then we're on this performance system of reward and punishment. The entire system of scripture of the Judeo-Christian model that we get from Scripture is based on reward and punishment from beginning to end. Uh, from the very beginning, when they eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and death comes into them, to the very end when it says in the book of Revelation that Jesus is coming back and his reward is with him to give to everyone according to their works. So the whole system is based on reward and punishment. So we become programmed uh, through religion to relate to God in that way. So we see this God in the sky who's got reward and punishment that favors some and doesn't favor others. Uh, all these human tendencies, which is really just a glorified ego, uh, a glorified human expression that is just on a grander scale than us. And so then we get stuck, and you can go back and watch that one again, but we get stuck in these loops of, well, did I not get healing, or did my, someone in my life that I prayed for, did they not get healing? Well, maybe it wasn't the will of God, or maybe it was the will of God, and maybe <clears throat> I just didn't perform well enough, or something like that. And uh, those those frames don't really work, and we, we kind of talked about that. But it's very, very important, I think, that we deconstruct from that model. Um, and I'm going I'm to hit on that again in just a little bit. What I'm proposing instead is that God is the, the source of life, the energy, the intelligence, the consciousness that is that created all things and that is sustaining all things, but transcends our human understanding at times and definitely our human characteristics but that we are surrounded and inhabited, we are both inhabited and surrounded by this divine intelligence and by this divine essence and by this divine presence. Greg Braden in his book, The Divine Matrix, he calls it the, the divine matrix. Um, Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter 17, he says that in God we live and move and have our being. So I want you to think about those three things. If, if nothing else we draw from that. You live. So the life that's in you is God. 
you move, that which gives you movement is God. And you have your being, the fact that you are, the fact that you exist is God, is an extension of the divine, is an expression of the divine. The fact that when you cut your, when you, when you get a cut or a scratch, that cut or scratch heals on its own. The cells know what to do. The fact that your immune system knows what to do to fight certain uh, colds and viruses and things like that. The fact that your body can digest food. All of that is this divine life, this divine energy, and you might call it divine healing. It's the same stuff. I don't want you to think about it as something other than what you are already existing in, already surrounded by, already inhabited in and with, like like a fish swimming in the ocean, uh, but also full of water on the inside, interpenetrating, that it is always available, it is always around, and you are immersed in it uh, constantly. So you, so you already have all the access to it that you need. You don't have to um, get <clears throat> this deity in the sky who sits on a throne to decide to release to you by the Spirit the gift of healing and make sure that it comes through and by Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so, <laughs> I, I want to look at some some principles that are true about how humanity, how people have tapped into that and released that for their own well-being and for others. So, in the second lesson, I'm still kind of reviewing, in the second lesson, what I talked about is what hinders that. If, if we're already surrounded by it, if that energy is already there, if we're living and moving and having our being in it, if we're already plugged into it, what hinders that from flowing uh, more powerfully and strongly in our life, and how can we remove those hindrances? And I suggested that what uh, hinders it mostly is our psychological patterning, our um, animal nature that's given to fear for survival, and um, uh, some of those uh, animal instincts. Remember I showed you the tarot card? with the two sphinxes, one represented the animal nature or the material nature, the addiction to materialism, the belief that this material world is all there is. And then the second sphinx represented your social, socially conditioned self. And then we looked at Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that the word transformed there is the word for transfiguration. It's letting this light and power and glory that is the divine in you radiate through your body and radiate out from you by not being conformed to the social self, not being conformed to the pattern of this world. So the social self then is a real hindrance to this outflowing and, and pouring out of divine healing presence. A couple people in the last message, they said, what does this have to do with divine healing? Uh, so I hope to kind of close that gap for you today to help you understand where I was going the last time if you saw it. Um, but also, if you didn't see it, I'm, I'm just trying to kind of catch you up. Now, I want you to think about some things because I still want to, I want to lay a groundwork for where I'm at, why I think this information is so powerful, why I think it's so exciting, why I think it's so liberating, why I think it's true, uh, why I think it's trustworthy. And so let's let's just begin. Let, let's do this. I want you to think about God. Go ahead and think about God if you want to in the traditional Christian sense. Let's let's just do that for now. Think about God in the original traditional Christian sense. Uh, and science, archaeology, pretty much there's a consensus now that humanity, <clears throat> modern humans, are 200,000 years old. 200,000 years old. That's kind of the consensus. Now, conservative if we were going to be super, 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 super conservative, the the uh, less modern estimates of how old the human species is, the modern human species, would be 50,000 years old. But again, the consensus is 200,000 years. Now, if you're a biblical literalist, you probably think the earth is only 6,000 years old and I have no help for you. Um, you're not who I'm talking to. 
I'm talking to reasonable people who will, are willing to look at evidence and don't think that all archaeologists and scientists are just idiots um, or out to somehow, you know, come against you and your religion. So let's just suppose, let's just go with science and say, let's say, and take your pick. You can pick 50,000 years or, like I said, 200,000 years. I'm going to go with 200,000 years because that's kind of the consensus right now. So let's go back 200,000 years. So if you believe the biblical story, let's just suppose that it started with Adam and Eve, then Adam and Eve, the two first humans, existed 200,000 years ago. 200,000 years ago. That means the fall of man happened 200,000 years ago. Now, this is, this is the problem verse, and this is what's been getting me in trouble. John 14, I think it's verse 3 or 7 or something. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I made a statement, I put a post out, that I said that everything that God is and everything that God has is, avail is fully available to everyone without coming through Jesus. Now that contradicts. We can argue all we want to. Uh, we can explain or try to explain what Jesus meant when he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But that was 2,000 years ago. So I want you to think about this from, from God's perspective, that humanity is 200,000 years old. And so this God apparently waits 198,000 years before becoming available to humanity because it's only through the person of Jesus Christ that you can have relationship with the Father. Now, be honest with yourself. How much sense does that make? Now, that also doesn't bear up with experience, and I'll tell you why. Because when you go back 200,000 years and you look at archaeological stuff, what you discover is that humanity, from its very beginning, was very religious. If anything, very... And I don't mean religious in the sense that you're probably hearing it. I mean they had a a <clears throat> devotion to the gods, a sense of spirituality, and a sacredness about them from the very beginning. In fact, they have found Neanderthal. Now, Neanderthals are a different species, basically, of humanity. Um, but they can show that there was some interbreeding because it's my understanding, at least when you get your genealogy, DNA done, they can tell you if you have any Neanderthal DNA in your DNA. So isn't that interesting? But they have found Neanderthal communities where they had idols, where they had evidences of priesthood, where they had evidences of funeral rites and things of this nature. So, so mankind has been <clears throat> relating to deities or relating to this divine energy. In other words, if we, if we look at the two, um, viewpoints. One viewpoint is that God is Yahweh, who's in the sky, who sent his son, and it's only through his son that you can have relationship with him. Uh, we can look at it through that lens, or we can look at it through the lens of God as being this ever-present divine intelligence and energy that, and life that is interpenetrating all things, surrounding all things, uh, sustaining all things, and holding all things together. And we can look at the history of humanity from 200,000 years and say that for that entire time span, humanity has been tapping into seeking out the mysteries of life, seeking out the mysteries of life after death, and relating to various deities, various gods, various god forms, long before 198,000 years, or if you want to go conservatively, 48,000 years, before Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. <clears throat> so does it make sense then that God who loves humanity, that God who wants to have relationship with humanity, from this Christian viewpoint, traditional Christian viewpoint, that he's going to sit back for 198,000 years or uh, 48,000 years and do nothing but pour out judgment like the flood, uh, judging the nations, whatever kind of stuff that God did, Sodom and Gomorrah, the stuff we read in the Bible, and have no, and mankind to have no access to God until Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's why I'm bringing this up. 
because I was taught and I taught and I taught many of you that in order to receive healing, in order to receive an answer to prayer, that you had to do it in the power of Jesus' name, that healing was in the redemption, that healing was in the atonement, that uh, you, you could release healing through commanding in Jesus' name. But we had to use Jesus and we had to use Jesus' name. And we got results doing that. We believed that. We created that atmosphere. We created an egregore in our church that uh, dispensed healing, power and virtue when we were flowing in those things. And we got our methodology confused, I think. We thought, in other words, these things were happening because we were following principles that are universal, that have nothing to do with the language or the form in which we were presenting it. And so here's how I know. So so there are miracles that happen and have happened through Christianity and in the name of Jesus. They're in the Bible, but there's also modern accounts, present day accounts. Many of you have experienced those things yourself. But let's step outside of that. In 2008, I went to a training in Alaska and I befriended a Hindu brother, uh, someone who practiced Hinduism, first person I knew to practice Hinduism. And so we had quite a few discussions about religion. And I thought for sure I was going to convince him, uh, you know, I was going to win him to Jesus because he was a lost soul. That's how I thought back then. And I started telling him about the miraculous things that were going on in our church because it was at that time that we were really flowing and operating in those things. And he comes back and says, oh, that's just like my, my aunt, I think, or someone in his family. And he had a term for him. And it was a Hindu healer. It was somebody that was a Hindu healer who people would go to for laying on of hands. And he started to tell me about how she had opened blind eyes. Uh, in fact, he started to tell me about miracles that he'd seen her perform that were greater than miracles I'd seen up to that time performed. So there's that, right? Um, so that, that's kind of a modern example. So what do you do with that? Um, I have since met people who do not believe in Jesus Christ, who practice things like bhakti yoga, who absolutely minister very powerfully, have ministered to me personally, very powerfully, divine healing. Um, and, and operate in supernatural information. They have access to what we would call the mind of God. Now, I'm saying all this to say... Uh, if you go back down through history then, there, there was in the communities, the earliest form of healing, the earliest form of spirituality within the communities, predating monotheism, predating Christianity, were the shamans, the, the local medicine people. Um, and the shamans always contacted spirits, they always contacted, uh, they used spiritual forms of healing and natural forms of healing. I'll come back to that in a minute. And they would get results. I mean, we have to realize that just because they were ancient people doesn't mean they were stupid people. Just because they believed differently than we did doesn't mean that they were stupid. In fact, an argument can be made that they developed more sense of community and uh, more of the internal technologies and potentialities that we have available to us. Whereas modern man, since, uh, you know, AD, or I guess they don't call it AD anymore, they call it CE, the common era, has developed outward technologies uh, that we've expressed ourselves outwardly through cell phones and, you know, all this stuff. So we're able to do magic, but we do magic outwardly, whereas they were able to do magic by contacting the spiritual world. So from the traditional Christian perspective, then they are not tapping into God because God's not available to them because they have to come through Jesus. So the shaman isn't using the power of God to heal. The Hindu isn't using the power of God to heal. The New Age healer isn't using the power of God to heal. The Reiki healer isn't using the power of God to heal because they're not coming through Jesus because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so God has shut them out of those things. So then the only conclusion we're left with is that they're operating by the power of demons. And that's what a lot of Christians choose to believe, that they're operating in the light, that they're coming because of one verse in the Bible, they are coming to the true God and everybody else is wrong. Now, 
let's look at the development of the God in the sky thing for just a minute. Please understand that all of these ancient cultures had their own deities and all of them went to shaman, shamans or those who were exercised in the power of spiritual gifts <clears throat> for healing and for health. Now, the Old Testament is not monotheistic in the beginning. It's not monotheistic. It's not one God. It's the belief in Yahweh. Now, there are archaeological finds uh, of, of artifacts that were consecrated or had, that had inscriptions to the God Yahweh that did not belong to Israel or the Jews or, in fact, predates the emergence of the Jewish nation. So that lets us know that Yahweh was an older deity that was adopted by Moses, if you will, at the burning bush, or was adopted by, uh, if, if the Moses story is true, adopted by Moses. It, he was the God that appeared to Moses. But in the Bible itself, it's very clear that, that Yahweh was the tribal cult God of the Israel, Israeli people. And he was a war God. That's why they carried the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember and know your Bible well enough, that's why they would carry the Ark of the Covenant before them. Now, this does not make sense in terms of monotheism and one creator, because I want you to think about this. God, Yahweh, present in the ark with the nation of Israel, going out to war against other human beings that he loved and created to destroy them makes no sense from a monotheistic frame. And in fact, the Old Testament doesn't have a monotheistic frame. Those of you that are fighting so hard to keep the, the Ten Commandments on, on the walls of, 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 in the, in the halls of Congress and whatever, and I'm not against Ten Commandments, I'm not saying they're wrong, but one of the Ten Commandments is, uh, you know, I am the Lord your God. And one of our most, mis, uh, most unfortunate translations is the word the Lord in the Old Testament implies the Lord in the sky and monotheism, but it's a horrible translation. <clears throat> it's, it's a proper name, Yahweh. So it says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. I am Yahweh and you shall not worship any other gods. If you read through the Old Testament, the reason that God was, was coming down so hard and was a jealous God, how could he be jealous if there weren't other deities that were present? And so the whole thing, he tells them, when you go into the land, break their altars, destroy everything, and whatever you do, don't marry their wives because their wives will cause you to go in and worship other deities. So Yahweh and the Old Testament and the Bible is not coming up under the frame of monotheism like you think. It's coming up under the frame of polytheism. Very definitely, very clearly, very easy to see. And that God, Yahweh, is a storm God and he is a warring God. That is the energies that are behind and were behind Yahweh from a time period, according to archaeology, that predated even the Jewish Nation. So here you have a deity among hundreds, millions, thousands of other deities that mankind is worshiping because mankind was polytheistic for 198,000 years, or yeah, 198,000 years, roughly, give or take a thousand. And you don't see monotheism in the Bible. So how did monotheism develop? Well, because, because Yahweh was a warring God. He was going in and kicking ass. And the idea was that whoever's God was more powerful, that, that the, the deity that was the most powerful warring deity was the higher, more powerful God. And so therefore the people would have to bow their knee. This is why you could have a David and Goliath situation. Think about the story of David and Goliath. You've got, uh, surrounded You've got people surrounded, uh, armies on both sides. Why don't the armies just go to war like we do today? No, they say, let us have a champion come out. And whichever champion wins, then that will represent the army that wins. That doesn't make any sense to our modern thinking. But if you read the story, uh, Goliath comes out and he curses David by his gods. Why? Because they didn't believe it was a, it was a clash of might in the earth. They believed it was a clash of might in the heavens. You see this also with Moses, where he's holding up his staff, and as long as he's holding up his staff to Yahweh, the Israelites are beating the Amalekites, but when he begins to lower his staff, then the Amalekites begin to win. So somehow him raising his staff and doing intercession was strengthening Yahweh's power and ability to defeat the God of the Amalekites. So it was a war in the heavens, 
being played out in the earth. So between David and Goliath, so Goliath comes out and curses David by his gods, and David comes out and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I come to you, come, you come to me uh, in the name of your gods, but I come to you in the name of the God of Israel. And so when he wins, then it's evidence, when he wins in the earth, it's evidence that God, Yahweh, was greater than the God Baal or the God of the Philistines. And that's the story of your Bible. It's polytheistic, and it's, it's it, and Yahweh is a warring God. Until something happens, until something changes. And what changed was that Babylon came in, and completely demolished and destroyed, the Assyrians came in and destroyed Israel, uh, Babylon comes in and they destroy the Jews. Uh, not They don't destroy the Jews, I'm sorry. They destroy the temple and they destroy Jerusalem and they carry the Jews captive. So now you've got a problem because in the mind of Israel, now Yahweh is not the big dog. He's no longer the king of the hill. The Lord is no longer the Lord because he's been defeated. His power has been defeated. The Babylonian gods and the Assyrian gods were more powerful than Yahweh. And Yahweh's promises to always keep someone on David's throne, that his seed line would never be broken. That's a promise in the Bible. That's an oath in the Bible was broken for at least 400 years because Israel was was scattered. Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews were taken captive into Babylon. So they had, so here's what they did. They created in their writings, in the scriptures and the scribes, trying to make sense out of this, they could not let go of the idea, this is going to be really important in a second, they could not let go of the idea that Yahweh was chief, that Yahweh had dominion. So what they did was they morphed it into monotheism and they said, no, this was Yahweh that did this to us. This wasn't the greater gods that came in and destroyed us. This was Yahweh's power to punish us and to punish our kings because we did not serve him. And they edited. This is indisputable biblical scholarship. This is biblical consensus except among the Southern Baptist Convention. And the assemblies of God. But everybody else with a noodle and everybody else that can be objective in the biblical scholarship world knows that the Old Testament was edited and redacted by a group called the Deuteronomists who put in the portions that God, that Yahweh had destroyed, uh, had destroyed Israel rather than relinquish their sense that God, that Yahweh was the greatest God that there was. And so, then you have Isaiah, then you have Isaiah in Isaiah, I think, 45. He says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, and besides me there is no other. Watch this. I create the light, and I create the darkness. I cause peace for Israel, or anyone else. I cause peace, and I cause calamity. So now, Yahweh's not just chief among all the other deities. Now, Yahweh is the only God there is and responsible for peace and calamity and responsible for light and darkness. So Israel comes out of Babylon. It's after incubating in Babylon that they come up with monotheism. It's after incubating in Babylon that they come up with dualism between light and darkness and things that they inherited from Zoroastrianism. And I I don't want to get into all of that. The reason this is important is because Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. So Israel is monotheistic by that time. Jesus comes in worshiping or serving Yahweh, unless you're a Gnostic, and then you believe he was worshiping and serving a higher God. I I don't want to get into all that. So then what happens is, is that Christianity, when it becomes, without getting into all the history of it, now Yahweh, the storm God, the warring God, the one among many gods, has been morphed or transformed into the one God and Jesus, the embodiment 
of that one God, the incarnation of that one God. So watch that. So Yahweh went from being a chief warring God and a storm God to the one God, to the one God who's revealed in the man Jesus. And you can only have access to this one God if you come through Jesus and through Jesus' name, which is one verse in John's gospel, but it completely contradicts the evidence. It completely contradicts the evidence and it negates 198,000 years of relationship between what truly is divine and humanity. It negates 198,000 years of human history. And we've got to believe that God only started to have fellowship and whatever with humanity. My dog's scratching on the door there, so hopefully he goes away. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? So why am I going into all this? Because what I'd like to suggest to you is, here's what I want you to get, that humanity forever, our ancestors forever, we're tapping into the divine presence. We're tapping into the divine power from the time of our origins to bring healing. Now, shamanism doesn't really exist today. You, you got a lot of people that go around claiming to be shamans. Um, now, I'm not negating the fact that they may be using shamanic practices, but to truly be a shaman, to truly be a shaman, you have to be in a community And the community chooses you. The community recognizes the gifts in you. And usually you come from a long line ancestrally of gifted shamans. The community recognizes the gifts in you. The community chooses you. And you are set apart for training. Now, why is the training important? Here's where we get to the practical part. Because you had to be trained to be a healer. Now, here's the other interesting thing about shamanism. You can take modern-day shamans and cultures that still practice it, indigenous cultures around the world that still have them. You can take a shaman from Africa, a shaman from Tibet, a shaman from the Aborigine tribes in Australia, let's say, and a shaman from South America. You can get them together. They practice. They know the same truths. They know the same practices. They basically do the same things, yet they've never met. You can look at cultures that, that, through archaeological digs and whatever. They tapped into things. Uh, and use the same principles and use the same processes, but they never met. So there's something, there's something to this gang. And what I'd like to suggest to you is those that have been effective as Christian healers, as Christian shaman, if you will, or that are practicing shamanic practices today and getting results, have followed a lot of the same principles, and they're embedded in the scriptures themselves. So what, so here's my point. You don't just take one class and become uh, astute in divine healing. There's training involved. And so these people would be selected oftentimes very young, and they would go through oftentimes years and years of training before they could function and operate as a healer within their community. So if you're looking for the fast track to becoming a divine healer, um, (laughs) Sorry. But I will get into, before I go go off, I will get into some practical ways that you can tap into it yourself without going through a shaman. But the, the primary training for a shamanic worker, the primary training for a shaman, above all else, was learning, was going on spirit journeys. Learning how to alter consciousness from the natural world to the spiritual world, learning how to part that veil. And in every shamanic healing, the shaman journeys in the spirit, which simply means alters their state of consciousness to communicate with spirits, to see the root issues of what's going on in the person's life, to travel, if you will, in the spirit, and bring back messages, warnings, remedies, or power and presence to heal the person. I worked with someone who was trained by shaman when I was in Arizona, and I had one of the most powerful, mind-blowing spiritual experiences I've ever had in my life, and nothing in church and nothing in Christianity that I'd ever experienced could even come close to comparing to it. Just 
let that sit there for a minute. So, so I, what I'm saying, guys, is here, here's our problem. Let me come back to Christianity real quick because I want to get this out. I just feel led by the Spirit to do this. Here's what we don't recognize. Christianity is tied to superiority and dominionism because the energy behind Yahweh that we say was embodied in Christ is a warring, nationalistic, and dominion energy. And that's why people will get worked up and they will fight so hard to say, no, you can only come to the Father through Jesus because we have the truth. We are the light of the world. We are the ones that are sent into all the nations to bring the message of salvation to the world. It, and it's tied to the fact that Yahweh was going to make Israel the head and not the tail. That's also what's going on with Christianity and American nationalism today, trying to be the most blessed and the greatest nation upon the earth. So when you worship Yahweh and when you tie in to those Christian uh, uh, things, uh, one, of the, one of the problems that you're, you're tying into that, now, I'm using this on purpose as an example. That is a cultural trans, trance state. That is a cultural way of thinking. Or now we're back to the social self, or we're back to a group consensus, or let's call it a consensus trance. A consensus trance. That, that we really have been put under a spell, that, that we really are spellbound. And that religion is spellbinding and nationalism is spellbinding and politics is spellbinding and when you become awake you realize whoa i've been under a spell i've been under a spell i've been in a trance to be in a trance is to see very narrowly very focused and to miss everything else and when you awaken you wake up and realize i've been under a spell i drank a potion I've been entranced. And then what's difficult is you look around at everybody else that is entranced. And the most natural thing in the world to do is to try to wake them up. But I'm going to tell you right now, the biggest part of the spell that people need to wake up from is the dominionism and the exclusivity that they are demanding of the message of Jesus while negating 198,000 years of human history and really negating the true source and creator and cutting themselves off in many ways from the divine presence and power that is available to heal them that humanity has been tapping into from the very beginning. Okay, I said that. Now, why do shamans have to go into trances? Why do they have to alter their states of consciousness in order to have access? Because here's the thing. It's our trance states, the cultural and social spells that we live under and call normal, that prevent us from tapping into the fullness of the presence and power of God and the glory of God and the presence of God, the one God, the true God, the divine source. It's those trance states that keep us asleep and unconscious to what's really available to us. So what the community would do is they would take one person out away from the community, out away from the group consensus, out away from the group trance, and they would have to take Hundreds and hundreds of spiritual journeys. What does that mean? Altering their states of consciousness on purpose until they broke out of the trance states that the rest of the community was in that was preventing them from receiving healing on their own. Then the shaman could journey or alter their state of consciousness to something else at will with dependability and permanence. So one of the things I'm, I'm going to tell you again, one of the things, you know, that you hear about uh, is, is gurus that can bring healing, but they don't believe in Jesus, but they can even uh, disappear and reappear other places. They can trans relocate. They can um, uh, do all sorts of different and amazing things that you will not find in your best Pentecostal churches or your best mind science churches or, you know, in the West, we think we're so superior. Uh, it's that superiority. That's one of the trances that we have to break free from. So here's my point. If you want to tap into divine healing, this is where we're going to make it practical. All of that to say this. <laughs> you have to understand where you are in a group consensus trance, particularly where it comes to your health, and have the ability to exit that trance state. 
So the wisdom of the shaman, so the wisdom, if you go back and read the Four Agreements, for example, Don Miguel Ruiz is probably the most uh, notable example, the one that most people know or be familiar with. They talk about the collective dream. They talk about the personal dream, that's your personal state of consciousness, and then they talk about the collective dream, but they say that we are dreaming. So that our reality is determined by our perception. But it talks about the collective dream. And the shamanic warrior fights the collective dream to wake up, if you will, to their own dream. So this is incredibly necessary to realize that we have been socially programmed to resist and suppress and not agree with divine healing, divine health, divine presence, and divine power. And it's those agreements that we've internally made and that we've been programmed, we've been spellbound to make, that prevent us from waking up and accessing what's freely available and already there to us. It's as though our consciousness, when it agrees with society on things, oftentimes resists or disagrees. Let's do it this way. Oftentimes when we make agreements with ourselves and we make agreements with society, we make a disagreement with the divine source and power and presence. And one of the laws of this universe is the law of free will. One of the laws of humanity is the law of free will. So when you make an agreement with something that disagrees with divine presence, the divine mind, and the divine principles, God does not force that on you. Because part of what we're learning anyway is how to become or operate as the creators and the makers of our own. Reality. We are, we are growing into gods, if you will. Um, at least that's what I believe. That's the evolution of our consciousness. And that we're here in this difficult, trying world as sort of a holodeck, if you're a Star Trek fan, for our consciousness, where we, res- where we have suffering, where we have pain, where we have polarity. And we also live in a density where it's really hard with consciousness to change reality and that reality in this dimension will only stretch so far before it'll snap back and hit you in the face. Uh, Because if we go to a lighter density and we have not mastered this ability yet, then we will be manifesting things that we don't want because we haven't learned to control the power that we have. So I think that we have divine power and the divine spark within us that we're tapped into this consciousness, that, that God is actually exercising God's self and improving God's self through you, evolving through you, if you will, to um, ascend into a less dense arena. So healing then and practicing healing and miracles is one of the ways that we develop in this density the way that we're supposed to develop. And I'm not referring to densities in the same sense that Aaron Abke is in the Law of One. For those of you that follow Aaron in the Law of One, that's his deal. I haven't even read it. Uh, I've only listened to a couple of his videos cause, just because I don't have time. Uh, so don't start asking me about densities in the Law of One. That's just, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm talking about uh, the way matter responds. All right, so having said that, where so this is where the social self and dealing with the social self, you have to look at where you've made agreements with society. That's the place where you are in the consensus trance. And the stronger your agreement, the stronger your tie emotionally, the stronger your investment, the the more energy you've put into it, the more your friends are invested in that same trance, the more your family's invested in that same trance, the more your ethnic backgrounds invest in that same trance, the stronger that trance is going to be in you. Genetically in your DNA, you inherited some level of consciousness in your DNA. So whatever the consensus trances were, whatever your soul group or your ancestors were connected to and believed and thought, they literally would create for themselves and it was either to their benefit or not to their benefit. Always to their perceived benefit, but whether or not it was to their benefit and the way it worked out, uh, who knows. So you, you have to then have the courage to examine where are these agreements. So let's get down to just some basics. Like how can we basically make ourselves more available to divine healing and divine presence? And how can we begin our own training? 
It has to be you examining your states of consciousness, your agreements, the way you think, and how conformed you are to society. I'm going to keep saying that. So where are the agreements that you've made about your health? Now, this is where it gets tricky because part of you is awake and part of you has broken agreement. The voluntary mind has. But the involuntary mind or the subconscious mind is in the body. <laughs> and so that, that's, the energy, that's the energetic system that is in the body. So you can believe something up here, but this rest of you hasn't caught up. So that's why Paul says in Romans 12, 1 through 3, present your body that your mind may, may be renewed. In other words, you really have to quit thinking and start feeling. Not how do I think about this, how do I feel about this? What kind of responses do I get in my body? This is the power of muscle testing, if any of you know about muscle testing, because muscle testing bypasses the ego states that you want to hold for yourself. But you can do this by just being in your body, being present in your body, and feeling about these things rather than thinking about these things. <clears throat> so what agreements have you made with your body? What agreements have you made with your own body? Do you like your body? Or have you been conditioned by society to not like your body? Uh, this is perhaps harder for women than for men. You know, women, ladies, you were conditioned by magazines and movies and fairy tales and whatever to think that the ideal feminine figure or body was a certain way. I'd invite you to go back to the Renaissance and look at what they thought was the ideal uh, body because it's totally different than today. Um, get out a National Geographic and look at other parts of the world and maybe what they think are ideal bodies and you'll understand that beauty is not in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is in the eye of society and beauty is in the eye of our social consensus. So it may begin with you, agreements that you've made with your body, Maybe that you have subconsciously at a feeling level or maybe even consciously you have rejected your body because it doesn't fit the societal ideal. And that, my dear brothers and sisters, welcome to the world of social spells, spell binding, spell casting, and group consensus. Perhaps you've rejected your body because... You don't like the gender that you are. Perhaps you don't like certain features. I'm talking about some of these basic things. Those things create energies that are against your body that will prevent your body from being its healthiest or its best self. Um, do you love your body? Or do you hate your body because it's painful? You hate your body because it's ugly? If you look in the mirror and say that's disgusting you are you are you are creating agreements that go against the healing and the well-being and the perfect functioning of your body all because of social trances and social consensus what kind of agreements have you made with disease well in my family they always get heart disease or in my family they always die from cancer or diabetes runs in my family. Those are agreements come from the group that signal to your body you're literally choosing or telling your body when it's time for diabetes. What about birthdays? And what about age? What about the agreements? Now, these are not easy things to break. I can consciously say there's no reason for my body to age, but when I look in the mirror, I still see it aging. Because I understand this is a, this is so embedded in the collective unconscious that we live to a certain age, that our body only functions at its best to a certain age. I mean, this is huge, right? So you can't just say, oh, well, I don't believe that and I'm not having birthdays anymore and, and expect to see a bunch of results. Um, expect to live immortally. You know, I believe that there is the potential for my body to live 200 years, let's say. It's about as far out as I can go in my own belief system. Do I want to live 200 years in this body? I don't know. But I can agree with that 
But man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man, there is generations, perhaps even past lives in my own consciousness that says, no, you die, you age, things start breaking down at certain ages and certain things happen. Are you getting this? So those agreements then can hinder your ability to have access to divine healing. The reason I spent so much time and have spent so much time, if you have an agreement with a God in the sky that it has to be that God's will and that you can only access it through Jesus, if you've made agreements and tied into energetically a religious system that is based on reward and punishment and one of the rewards is healing and one of the punishments is sickness, if you've tied energetically and mentally made agreements with those scriptures and made agreements and tied energetically into those thought forms and into those egregores, then those are problems for you. Those are areas where you are spellbound. And trust me, there are people that make a good living keeping you spellbound. There are people who are unwilling because of money to fully wake up and have to maintain allegiance to systems that they know are wrong simply because they have an agreement with that system and an agreement with money. Now we're into another whole area of trance states. How does money work in your life? How do you feel about money? How does it, how does provision come to you? How do you understand? Do you have to, do you think in a way, have you made an agreement with your time and money so that you trade your time for money and work for an hourly wage or have you made an agreement more with marketing and commerce and realize if I can sell something, if I can make and sell a product then I, and, and buy low and sell high, then I'm making money with my money and my products and not with my time. So now I'm trading product. You see, these are all trance states that determine the outcomes that we get. That's just another example of that. So how do we work on this? You, you have to, like, like, what are you afraid of? Are you, like, like, so here's the thing. Here's what the point I'm trying to make. Most people will wait until they're sick to try to get healing, and by that time it's too late because you've done no, you've done no training. That's when you need to probably find somebody else who has been training. If the only time you train and develop and work yourself, work your muscles for divine healing and miracles is when somebody comes to you and you minister to them and you pray for them, you're not going to see results. That's why shaman had to be trained. That's why they devoted their life to it. And, the, and making sense to you? So doing some things daily to open yourself up, to realize that you are more than just your physical body, that you are an energetic system. Like when, remember when I talked about the aura? You have to become aware of the aura that you have. You have to become aware of the aura that's around you. You have to become aware of your energy. You have to realize that your body is just a container of energy and every thought, every word, every deed done by you or done against you by someone else or done for you by someone else is either contributing to the overall quality of the vibration of your aura and your energetic body or it is completely diminishing and draining that. If you're around people all the time that drain your energy, guess what? They're literally draining your life source. If you don't, if you're practicing healing and the laying on of hands and Reiki, but you don't know how to remove yourself and really tap into the flow of divine light and power and allow that divine light and power, the power of the universe to flow through you, you could heal someone else at the expense of your own immune system at the expense of your own energy. And so realizing that you're an energetic system, realizing that you have an aura that is around you that interpenetrates you and that the energies that you carry and keep within you can eventually produce sickness and disease inside of you. Emotions and things that you would deal with. It's particularly anger. I'm going to tell some of you, some of you ladies, you need to have permission to get angry. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, you know, I, I, I see so many situations because women in our culture are not allowed. If men aren't allowed to cry, women aren't allowed to get angry because then they're just labeled a bitch. Uh, but you need to be able to get angry. You need to be able to express that. You need to be able to learn the skills to how to, to how to talk to people about that because so many women suppress anger and it comes out in these very subtle, very passive aggressive ways. It's more often than not women posting on Facebook lashing out at someone because they did not have the guts or the courage or the skill or even the permission within themselves to go to the person that they were upset with. I've seen people lash out at me on their statuses, mostly women, and I, and I'm not just being narcissistic because I had three, 
I had one woman do that to me this week, and I had three people. I didn't even see the thing. I had three of my other friends that contacted me and said, did you see so-and-so's post? She's really going after you. So <laughs> so all that stuff can come at you, and and or you don't release it. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't deal with your anger, sickness and disease is going to start to manifest in your body. That's not a curse the, uh, coming from God because you're you're bitter. That's not this reward. This isn't the Jehovah angry warring God. It is simply a spiritual law that when you do not release properly and properly deal with those pent up energies in your auric system and in your body, it eventually turns into dis-ease and shows up in your body. So by the time you're getting the physical symptoms, if you don't start doing stuff daily to, to cleanse and to release this stuff, start doing your shadow work, start doing meditation, start figuring out where you've been entranced, start figuring out the agreements that you've made, start figuring out where your fears are in regards to sickness and disease, becoming aware of your auric body and being able to uh, 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 sense and cleanse and energetically cleanse. Like you should have a daily ritual, just like you wash your body, you should have a daily ritual for cleansing your auric body. Just like you eat food, you should have a daily ritual that energizes you with divine life and energizes you with divine power, some kind of uh, participation in that. So what you can do is you can get yourself a journal and you can just write down, I believe these things about my body. Here's my areas of unfinished business. I get too angry. I get too afraid. I'm afraid of cancer. I'm afraid of uh, diabetes. I'm afraid of heart disease. I'm, af- I- I'm afraid of the coronavirus. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've been doing since this whole thing happened, one of the things that I do daily every night before I go to bed, I focus, I put my attention. I'll give you a meditation that you can do and then I'm going to be done. Um, I, because affirmations, let me say this first before we do that. Affirmations are important. Uh, I am connected to divine healing power. Divine healing power and presence is flowing through my body, renewing me. Every disease, germ, and virus that touches my body dies instantly. Um, these kinds of programming thoughts that you're saying to yourself and putting in yourself. So the work is twofold. You're, you're, you're programming your body for health. You're programming your body for youth. You're programming your body for strength. You're doing those things, but you're also dealing with the areas where there's disagreement. You're aware of your energy system, all that stuff. So I've thrown a lot of stuff out at you. So you can take a journal. You can say, I've made agreements with these things with sickness and disease. And then you can work on breaking those agreements at a feeling level. Feel into it. Allow it to be there. Understand and nurture that that, that, that fear. Listen, being afraid of dying is the most human thing in the world. It's the most natural thing in the world. Everything in nature has a survival mechanism. Your fear is your friend. I'm going to say it again. Your fear is your friend. Your fear is not causing something to come to you. Your fear is your friend. And if you will make friends with your fear and listen to your fear rather than most of us have a tyrant slave relationship with fear where fear just comes upon us and overtakes us and then we do all kinds of crazy stuff with fear. It's like our master. I'm not talking about that. But that's because we've suppressed and not dealt with fear over and over and over and over and over again. If you will let some of these fears come to the surface and you'll befriend your fear and what is the message that's in the fear, what's the agreement that's behind the fear, doesn't mean it's an accurate statement of reality, but it does make it, but it does absolutely mean it's an accurate statement of the vibrational energy that is in your aura that is working against you. And so you want to, you want to befriend that stuff. Um, you want to make those affirmations. So one of the things that I've been doing since the coronavirus is I will focus on the back of my head. I will focus right here on the brainstem because that's where the body and all the operational stuff is taking place. <clears throat> I will clear my mind and I will focus on the back of my head. And then I will send simple verbal suggestions to my immune system starting here going down through my nervous system, starting here, I will speak, literally speak to this part, of, speak to my body in suggestions and say, you immediately recognize when you come into contact, I speak to my immune system, you will immediately recognize when you come into contact with the novel coronavirus and you're, you will respond to destroy it immediately. You will kill the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus, on contact. And then I'll send and I'll picture that little, you know, thing and I'll picture the T cells and and the antibodies being created and destroying it. I'll picture that and I'll just do this for maybe 15 minutes before I go to sleep. 
Uh, now, is that working for me? Is that going to work for me? I believe that it's working for me. Uh, is it going to hurt me? No. Am I going to be foolish and just go out and think, oh, I'm immune to the coronavirus? No, because for one thing, that lacks compassion. Let me say this. Let me say this last thing because I want to hit this point. If you want, well, if you need healing, don't think you got to get it all by yourself. Find people who are energy healers. Find people who work in that area. Find people who are developed in that area. Get friends and family around you and have them minister to you because the time to really focus on this stuff is not when you're sick. Um, the time to focus on this stuff and cleansing your energy bodies and keeping yourself strong and healthy is before you get sick. Right. Making sure you have a right diet and all that stuff is before you get sick. But if when you get sick, don't give up, you know, don't give up the ghost. You can send those affirmations, visualizations, a lot of stuff that Joe Dispenza teaches, that Greg Braden teaches. You can practice that. I teach law of attraction things. You can practice those things, but you can also get people around you because sometimes they're, it's easier for them to tap into. Um, because when you're sick, your energetic system is involved in that as well. So sometimes it's better to get somebody who's healthy, whose energetic system is more clean, and they're able to allow some of that presence and power to, to flow through them. Um, I said a lot today, so, um, hopefully that, uh, that helps you. Hopefully that makes it practical for you. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I don't think I have anything else to say. So, uh, anyway, thank you all for watching. Uh, God bless you. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Tuesday night, uh, I don't think I have a time yet, but I'm going to be live with Derek Day on Tuesday night. We're going to be talking about uh, Christian deconstruction. Uh, and then uh, Thursday night, uh, oh, I, I remembered what I was going to say. I remember what I was, I, I was going to start to say something I lost it. If you want to operate in healing, you have to become a servant. You have to become everybody's servant. Not in a negative way. I mean, this is a massive key, and I don't, somebody needs to hear this. This is a massive key. Jesus was moved with compassion and healed. The Son of Man did not come to be served, he said, but to serve and lay his life down for others. The shaman in the community was the servant of the community. They gave up a normal life in the community. They, could, they couldn't have friends like everybody else could have friends. They couldn't go out and play like everybody else could go out and play. They couldn't think like everybody else. They were set apart, sanctified. Uh, and, and because you become the servant, you become the window. Remember that transparent glass that healing presence and power flows through. So if you're not willing to be a servant, you'll never be a healer. And so back to the coronavirus. I wear a mask not because I'm afraid and not because I'm a dumb sheep at all, but because I'm in tune, if with nothing else, the collective consciousness of the people that aren't where I'm at, that are afraid, and I'm making myself their servant. Whether I think I need to wear one or not is not the point. Whether I believe I'm going to be susceptible or not is not the point. Whether it's just a flu or something else is not the point. It's am I willing to lay my life down? Am I willing to lay down my beliefs, myself, my rights, my consensus trance, my group, what my group is saying, and am I willing to lay that down in order to be a servant for other people? So just practicing simple acts like that on whatever levels, not asserting your rights next time the restaurant doesn't get the food the way you want it, and maybe tipping a little extra when the, when the waiter or waitress isn't at their best practicing generosity, giving financially when it's a sacrifice for you to give, doing these little acts of service so that it becomes, so that being a servant to others becomes a way of life, so that you know, not in order to make yourself great or because it's cool or because you want it, but you know in order to serve. And you, and you are in tune with suffering and you are in tune with people who are hurting and you're able to respond compassionately without fighting for your ideas, your opinions or your rights when someone is hurting. 
when someone is hurting. Um, again, that's why you'll never hear me say all lives matter. Not trying to get political, but I'm just saying you'll never hear me say that because it, it is it is not a compassionate statement to the black community. And I want to be in tune and I want to be compassionate with what they're going through. So I'm willing to lay down something that I might think in order to identify and allow compassion and allow light and allow love and allow equality to become my reality. So anyway, having said all that, God bless you guys. Love you. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to go back and look at the comments. I hope this was a blessing for you. I hope this helped you. I am going to put together a class on divine healing where we can learn some things uh, like shamanic journeying. We can learn how to tap into the energetic system. We can learn how to tap into our aura. We can learn how to access the, the divine presence and power that uh, interacts with our aura and then flows through us to other people so that we're truly ministering divine life and healing. And uh, But that's going to be a whole course in and of itself. That's not something I'm going to do live. But I did try to give you some things to, to practically help you um, uh, again, I would encourage you to get Agnes Sanford's book, The Healing Light. Maybe try some of the meditations in there. It's a good place to start if you're interested in, in doing this uh, as a service for humanity. I hope there are some of you out there that will say, I want to be a healer, and I'm willing to put in the effort daily, every single day. Um, I'm willing to put in the study and the learning so that I can become a healing presence uh, to other people so that I can serve people in this way. So uh, anyway, uh, I can't see the comments today for some reason, so that's one of the reasons I wasn't responding, um, but I'll go back and look at them. God bless you. Love all of you. Hope you have a wonderful day.